thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Back Chat, exploring the five pillars of health, thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also your neurology with Dr. Paul Bergamo and Dr. Bianca Dobson. Welcome to Back Chat. My name is Paul Bergamo, and it's great to be here in our next podcast. Back Chat has about being your best. It does this by exploring the five pillars of health. It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, sleeping, and also in your neurology. Today's back chat will cover the pillar of thinking and also your neurology, and we'll discuss a non-drug natural approach to those who are suffering from headaches. Tell me today, as always, with Health Podcast, it's a great pleasure to introduce my fellow co-host, Bianca Dobson. Hey, Bianca, how are you going? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Yeah, good. We're suffering from a warm climate, aren't we, at the moment? It's pretty warm in uh, sunny Australia at the moment. Loving it. Beautiful, beautiful hot days. Excellent. Bravo, (laughs) bravo. So today's expert has uh, done her research on laser therapy. Have you got any inklings, backgrounds on laser therapy? Is that something you've ever touched on much? It's not. No, I haven't used or I haven't haven't really dealt with patients who have come across this before, I must say. But I'm fascinated to look at another, another format or another way that the CNS can be modified from... Perhaps what a chiropractor does, what our background might be. Yeah, another way to sort of tap into perhaps the central nervous system by applications to the peripheral nervous system. So it's going to be fascinating to hear Dr. Roberta Chow speak. So to introduce Roberta, she has an honorary research associate of the Nerve Research Foundation, Brain and Mind Centre, the University of Sydney. She's also a clinician working in primary care pain-based management. Her major area of research interest has been in the use of photobiomodulation for pain relief. She was awarded a PhD from the Faculty of Medicine, University of Sydney, for the study of laser therapy for neck pain and neural mechanisms underlying these effects. She was later awarded, awarded a National Health and Research Council grant to study the effects of laser on nerves. Dr. Chow was on the steering committee for the development of the National Pain Strategy designed to guide integrated and innovative planning for pain management across Australia. She recently received a government award for her contribution to medicine and the introduction of laser therapy for pain management. Hi, Roberta. How are you going? Hi. Nice to talk to you, Paul and Bianca. Fantastic. Hi, Roberta. Hi. And congratulations on all your your research, your career, which seems to be, you know, certainly not, not slowing down by the sounds of it. <laughs> no, I, uh, I do have plans to continue further with my research as well as continuing uh, clinical practice. It's been, um, it's been a driving force in my life, both for... Uh, probably for for good and and sometimes evil for myself. Uh, <laughs> being obsessed and passionate about something is um, has has its upsides as well as its downsides. But I'm still here and still going. Bravo, <laughs> <laughs> Roberta. With the laser therapy, what is laser therapy? Could you explain that to our listeners? Sure. Over the years, uh, this concept of using light to treat. Can, all sorts of conditions, and of course we're focusing on headache here, has has been around in sort of the subterranean level of of uh, all sorts of therapists. Um, but it, essentially, laser is light. There are certain things that make laser different from ordinary light or sunlight, but essentially it is light, and that light has the capacity to be absorbed by cells in the body, to change how the cells work, which then change how the tissue works, which change how the organs and the whole body works. So uh, laser was actually invented, I perhaps, perhaps that's not quite the right term, but um, was discovered in 1960. Uh, Theodore Myman at the Bell Laboratories in the US produced a red laser light from a ruby crystal by sticking strong electrical charge in it and that was the birth of laser whereas Einstein had predicted this therapy this electromagnetic radiation would be able to be produced but that was 1913 but it took till 1960 and in 1960 for whatever reason people started to use this form of light and it was often the ruby crystal or it was from a gas helium neon to treat things like wounds um, uh, wound healing mostly, and some acupuncture practice. So it started to filter out from Eastern Europe 
um, it came particularly where they did uh, big studies on wound healing. So over the years, that use evolved, um, the technology evolved, lasers in the beginning produced very weak lasers. Uh, now we have very powerful lasers, uh, but and, and now we are even using other sources of light, but I, I will focus on laser therapy. So essentially it is harnessing the capacity of light to change cellular function, which then modifies disease processes. It's very interesting. So, 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 Roberta, when you talk about the regards low-level laser therapy and maybe more powerful laser alternatives, what, what's the, what do you use in your with your work? Yes. Uh, well, one of the words, one of the synonyms that was used in the beginning to describe the lasers that we use, these low-level lasers, was cold laser therapy, because it doesn't generate heat. In fact, the generation of heat is is actually. Uh, undesirable because that interferes with how the body absorbs the light. So this concept of cold laser versus hot laser, the hot lasers being the surgical lasers, the cutting lasers, even the lasers now you see uh, that people use for hair uh, removal or tattoo removal, these are ablative lasers. These are high-level lasers and there are classes, there are defined classes of lasers and, and for those who want those deep, that sort of detail, class four lasers are the surgical type lasers. Now, um, for myself, I started in 1988 when I bought my first laser with a 15 milliwatt laser. So it's a very low level. You know, if you, you think of your 100 milliwatt globe in your lights, that's quite bright, right? A 15 milliwatt is background light. Very light. So we start. I started with 15 milliwatt. Um, actually, I also had a two milliwatt laser, and those two milliwatt lasers were very popular amongst the European laser acupuncturists. And that's sort of been another branch of the concept of laser therapy, but very specifically for laser acupuncture. But it is different. So over the years, the technology developed, and uh, the light became produced from semiconductor diodes. And now if you went to a, a, um, a laser conference, you can buy uh, lasers which are watts of energy or certainly um, 500 milliwatts would be nothing. So my most powerful laser that I have is 500 milliwatts. So, again, thinking of the analogy of the light globe, you can imagine that that's a really very bright light. It doesn't produce heat, okay? It doesn't cut, it doesn't ablate. And that is actually the technical difference because the lasers that are used for cutting and all of those ablated things are, can be used for low-level laser therapy without cutting and burning simply by changing the lens. So that's the difference. And, it, and in technical terms, it's about the energy density, about the power density. So um, this is the difference. But I don't use very I don't use high power lasers, which are now more and more available. And it's a whole separate discussion about if you're going to choose a laser, what do you buy? What do you buy of the myriad devices out there? Um, and I would say I would be prepared to make this blanket statement that more <coughs> excuse me, that less is sometimes more for laser therapy. Especially if you're talking about the wound healing area or treating post-operative pain and lymphedema it is not necessarily a good thing to have a high powered laser that you can use like a laser saber from star wars <laughs> so this is one of the things i would say i've learned over my years of using lasers that the hardest thing for practitioners is okay i'm going to get interested in this technique what laser do i buy and as I said, that's a whole other discussion. But but if, if um, more is not better, that would be, and more is often more expensive too. Yeah. Roberta, when you think about those practitioners that are perhaps looking at it, what does laser therapy have to offer compared to other treatments? Uh, that's really an important question and I have spent a fair bit of my time conceptualising what I can do. I don't have manual skills, 
So I can't replicate what a chiropractor or an osteopath or a physio can do. So uh, one of the interesting things is how people with diverse um, diverse skills can all use laser to integrate. But the thing that I know that I have that laser offers is the capacity for the light to induce multiple physiological changes, and I'll list them for you in a sec, at the same time. So it is this uh, this multi, um, uh, I suppose, multifunctional tool. It is very interesting to think that the body still has the capacity. Cells in the body still have the capacity to absorb light. Of course, we can see, right? That's obvious. That's how we absorb light. But what is very interesting is that we have within every single cell, except red cells, um, but we can absorb light other ways. We have the capacity of the enzyme, a particular enzyme, to take the light into the cell and then do its little uh, stimulatory thing and produce an outcome. So it is cell-specific. So what that means in terms of, okay, what the what can the light do? So we know, and this is all based in very strong research, it's anti-inflammatory. So if you have an inflamed joint, even a gouty joint, or just a joint that's been flared up because of overuse, if you put the light on that through the skin, it has a direct anti-inflammatory effect. We know it changes the levels of PG2. We know it changes how the cells work. At the same time as having the anti-inflammatory effect, it stimulates tissue repair. So not only, I mean, you can put a bit of Voltaren on, you can take some anti-inflammatories, but that's only one pathway, even if it works, which it often doesn't and it has side effects. But if you apply the light and you have a topical anti-inflammatory effect, that's local and and obviously getting the anti-inflammatory effect where it needs to be, not the rest of your body where it's going to do damage. But it stimulates at the same time cellular and tissue repair. So it stimulates the fibroblasts. It stimulates the macrophages. So the macrophages are all stimulated to um, get rid of the debris. The neutrophils release their chemicals. So while you're initiating an anti-inflammatory effect, you're also you're also stimulating cellular repair mechanisms at the same time. So you've got the body dealing with the Debris, the inflammation, the, the um, changing the pH in the area. The third element is again going back to a joint, say an inflamed joint. Um, you will have muscle spasm around that joint because that's nature's way; it will protect, don't move. So you can immediately relax the muscle and decrease the trigger point activity within the muscle. Again, at the same time, when you're treating the joint and it reduces inflama- uh, reduces edema, so you always will have um, some edema around your inflammation, but you don't have to wait for the anti-inflammatory effect to kick in. The light itself stimulates the lymphatics. It, it improves the motoricity of lymphatics, it, uh, and in the long term it can actually make them, um, you, you can grow more lymphatics, which is why it can be used for lymphatics. Um, they're probably the most significant things, all that, and that's what's unique. It does all of those things at once. So you can take a pill for your anti-inflammatory if you have these independent things. Mm. You can do massage therapy to help maybe the swelling and the, and the muscle. And But, but with a light, it's a, a really multi-dimensional soft tissue treatment that does everything at once. And, of course, I forgot the most critical thing, which is the nerve blockade so it actually blocks the nerve so in injury of course nerves are painful that nerves will set off pain signals we know there's actually no such thing as pain signals that will pain nerves but nerves that respond to the the noxious stimulus the a delta and c fibers so if we put the light so we've got our swollen joint or for our neck you've got somebody who comes in with an acute um maybe wry neck and some associated headaches. So you've got this combination of neural hyper-irritability, muscular irritability. You put the light on. You can achieve all those things, including this form of neural blockade. 
My research actually showed you can get the equivalent of 30% block in the nerves. These were animal experiments. This is actually neural blockade. This means that you have within your hand a technique of doing a medial branch block, what's like a medial branch block for a facet joint because that light can get down to the nerve over the medial branch. This is what's done, you know, takes takes a radiologist, takes, um, you know, four hours in a hospital, takes an anaesthetic, you know, Whereas if you can put the laser over your facet joint in your neck, you can achieve neural blockade. Um, and, of course, you're not going to numb, numb it completely, but you're going to then be able to get the muscles moving, reduce the inflammation. So all of those things happen at once. So it's, it's unique, I think. Bianca, that's uh, very expansive. It's it's very expansive, Bianca, what Roberta's been saying, and it's certainly something that I was not certainly educated for in regards affecting prostaglandins, tissue repair, yep. simulating repair, yep. muscle spasm reduction, uh, neurological sort of almost anesthesis, I suppose, to the nerve component as mm. well, all in one. Analgesia. Analgesic mm. side of it, yeah. all with you know, mm. minimal side effects and very locally delivered versus, say, something where yeah. if you take a medication which starts... And your uh, in your whole system. And all those components. So it's very powerful, Bianca, isn't it? Far more than I anticipated mm. regards to its impact. I'm really impressed with the um, yeah, the nerve blockade. I, I didn't realise that it could have such an effect. So even after that acute injury mm. or I'm just even thinking for sporting accidents and injuries to allow mm. the, and I, the and client. I told you. Sorry, I, I'm, to interrupt, I get very excited to see. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, talk about it. Um, I haven't even mentioned the effects on muscle endurance and training and improving muscular performance. There's a whole literature on, and if, if you treat a lot of athletes, and, and um, I'm sure a lot of your uh, members do, um, the ability to improve muscle performance for high End athletes is really phenomenal, um, and we and that's very well documented. Not only in the high level athletes, but also in elderly women. They can walk, but that that is getting away from it. But I, sorry, I get got all excited. <laughs> that's okay. That's yeah. brilliant. Now we've asked you to speak at a neurologic education seminar series in March mm. in Sydney. So we're talking about headaches and mm. uh, and and looking different approaches and different strategies to try and help our headache population. So how does it work with headaches, Roberta? What's the strategy there? Well, I, sure. I've mentioned those mechanisms, the anti-inflammatory, the muscle relaxing, the yep. tissue repair, and the neural blockade. So I'm sure everybody is familiar with the complex pathophysiology of headaches, be it tension headaches, migraine headaches, which are to some extent uh, controlled by one's genetic predisposition, so you have to deal with what you dealt, what you dealt genetically. So we we can't I can't say we can change the genes, but I mentioned before that this is a really important soft tissue treatment. Now you will all also be familiar with the association with the top cervical vertebrae, C one two three, and the association with the trigeminal nucleus and that pathway which is from the c23 even lower because we know that there's interconnection of all levels of the spinal cord we know that if there is a driver a pain driver or a nociceptive driver from say a facet joint or a tight muscle or um even a a food that causes some inflammatory reaction, right, in the migraine case or changing hormones. We know that we can modulate what's happening in the trigeminal nucleus by applying the light to the C123, the whole of the cervico, I think it's called the cervico-trigeminal complex. So we are modulating the periphery by down-regulating what's going on in all those nerves, um, in the in the joints, um, I also believe, but I don't think there's a, I don't think there's ex precise data about this. I think I have to extrapolate that you can also do the equivalent of a dorsal root ganglion block. 
some of the lasers will get down to the dorsoroot ganglion. So you are able to modulate what, again, what some of these neuromodulators are doing in the cervical spine simply by applying the laser here. So all of those influences, both the anti-inflammatory, the muscle relaxing, probably more importantly that neuromodulation that I talked about, the modulating of the input into the trigeminal nucleus and all of those, and from trigger points. I mean, you know the trigger point pathways from, Mm. um, I mean, this is where my acupuncture background has been so useful in understanding the connectivity. The one problem I see with so much of the physios and, uh, you know, the rheumatologists, they still regard the body as like a bit of Lego, a Lego setup. You know, everything is a little bit interchangeable, right? You can change the hip joint, you can change the knee, you can operate here, you can cut this, you can remove that. And somehow the body just works. What has been lost, I think, in, in a lot of current understanding, especially of pain, is that we are a biological computer. We are all connected. And, and again, this is sort of the acupuncture knowledge that has been so useful. I know that if I put a, ne- a needle into the interspace between the first and second toe, I can, in some people, not everybody, but I can change headaches. Now, how the hell can I change headache by putting a, to- a needle? It's because of the connectedness. And chiropractors, osteopaths, understand this much better than most of our colleagues trained in physiotherapy at the moment. There's a very simplistic, uh, the knee bone's connected to the thigh bone mentality. That That's the um, orthopedic surgeon's specialty. Knee bone's connected to the thigh bone. Let's change it, sort of, you know, let's take one out and put a new one. It, it doesn't. And for, look, look, for a lot of people, it, it isn't the bad, bad thing to do, but um, that that ability to modulate what's going on in the CNS by applying the light peripherally is the key to understanding what, what it's doing. Yeah. So, Roberta, can laser therapy work with other therapies as well? Yes, absolutely. So for myself, I still do some acupuncture. I, I will quite often use needle acupuncture for the distal points. Those of you who are acupuncturists would understand that because distal needles can modulate centrally and and, uh, I I don't always do it, but if I feel somebody needs some of that and and if you were to ask me how do I judge, I think it's a bit intuitive, a little bit, you know, I think it's a good idea feeling. Um, So... Certainly, I have a physiotherapist who's worked with me who's a manipulative, was a manipulative physio. She says that she does not need to do about 80% of manipulation she used to do because it relaxes the muscles. Um, And so, um, not that I like high velocity manipulations, but to just mobilize, to enable the soft tissues to to be more easily mobile or to the joints to be more mobilised. It's the equivalent of probably doing an hour's massage. And you go, and she said she just changed her whole practice. Um, There is a place for all of that. That's Again, I wouldn't want to say that this this replaces everything. It doesn't. Um, So you can certainly use it in that context of manipulative therapy and exercise. Of course, you... You know, if somebody has weakness in a muscle or a neck, I guess it doesn't apply quite so much for headaches. But certainly um, if you have somebody who just needs a little bit of mobilisation in the, in the neck and you don't want to overstimulate and overtreat, a little bit of laser and then some very gentle um, mobilisation can be really effective. I can't do that, so I have to send people to her but but often, and, and I have a couple of chiropractors I work with who tell me the same thing, that it, ma- it, it makes a lot of the work that they do so much easier and less traumatic. You don't want to do anything. I mean, I don't believe we should be doing anything tra- traumatic to patients. I can inject too, and I do. I do some forms of trigger point injection as well. But you really want to keep that for the, you know, for just that last bit that you can't do. So trigger point injections, um, 
exercise absolutely can work with exercise. Enable people who are in pain to get to do exercise. Um, and even platelet-rich plasma injections, which now certainly there's a literature suggesting that if you do laser with PRP, you get a better outcome. Um, wow. And so that adjunctive treatment, and it depends. I mean, if you if you spend a lot of money on lasers, um, you're wanting to recoup your costs. So chances are you will tend to do more with the laser yep. and make the other aspects of your treatment um, better. But it is an integrative treatment. It is very much so. And I, as I said, I use it with acupuncture. I give people medication. I mean, if they're not sleeping and, they're, you know, they're tossing and turning at night, um, it's it's humane to give them something to help them get over that hump. But a lot of people hate the thought of taking medications. And, I mean, I'm sufficiently embedded in a medical model to say, look, you, you're not going to take it forever. Just take it for a couple of weeks while we're getting you functioning better. So I use it with some drugs as well. Okay. So in a sense, there's, there's a long list of indications for what you've mentioned, Roberta, for, for yeah. using laser therapy. What about on the flip side? What are the contraindications or reasons perhaps not to use laser therapy okay. for, for those who are listening to the yeah. chat podcast? Yes. There are, there are a few people who do seem to be very sensitive to light. Um, I've probably got one in my practice, uh, a young woman who has headaches, who gets uh, dizzy and all sorts of funny somatic symptoms if I use laser. And the only thing, I mean, she's been to every neurologist and every chiro in the world. The only thing that helps keep her headaches under control are trigger point injections. Right. Um, Botox wasn't helpful. So, again, addressing the muscle, the tension, muscle tension component. Um, and I, you know, a couple of times I said, oh, let's try the laser again. And no, she just seems to have that overreactivity. And what I believe it is, one of the things we know about the mechanism of the light absorption and what the, what the light does is produce a tiny little bit of oxidative stress. So we know that a little bit of oxidative stress is good for the body. It, it's what stimulates repair processes. And we know that too much oxidative stress will cause a sort of an irritant effect. And I think some people, for what it, again, this genetic lottery seem to be much, much more producers of oxidative stress. But across the spectrum of people who come to you, there'll be people who respond really quickly and dramatically to treatment and the, those who are just, you know, you can do, you know, do lots and lots of things and nothing happens. So there is a percentage of people like that. Um, so when I'm starting to treat a new patient, I always start with the assumption that they're likely to be sensitive, not overly sensitive. So um, one has to be mindful that people like migraineurs in particular, again, it's possibly some genetic thing that um, people have tried to explain to me, um, but migraineurs are quite sensitive to light. So you can't go mm -hmm. in with, your, you know, your 500 milliwatt laser blazing. <laughs> You'd be probably down at 10 milliwatt, 10, 15 milliwatt end and being very gentle. So um, so it's, it's not a reason not to use it, but it's certainly a precaution. Um, I, uh, I do use it in pregnancy that comes up when you have bad, uh, you know, like back pain in pregnancy. Uh, there have been a few studies of animals, and those animal studies show that not only is there no problem with the babies, but they're bigger, healthier, and have and have um, better, faster milestones than the rat. It's been rat study that have not had laser. So there isn't a mechanism. I, there's no mechanism for it to be a problem. I mean, you wouldn't just for medical legal reasons. You wouldn't want to put it over the pregnant uterus, but to treat the sacrum or the sacroiliac joints. Um, and the muscles, uh, there'd, there'd be no contraindication for, um, at all. So pregnancy isn't. Um, I have heard that epilepsy could be a relative contraindication, but again, 
that's more historical coming out. I, I, I have never seen the data to suggest there is an issue. Um, any other reasons? Cancer is one that comes up for discussion. You would certainly not... Um, you, you you wouldn't put you wouldn't use it in somebody who has an active cancer, but if people have gone into remission, um, uh, that's fine. There's a huge number of people, something like twenty two thousand people, who have been um, treated at Flinders University in South Australia uh, for post mastectomy lymphedema, and there has been no. And they've looked at their, they haven't looked at 22,000, but they've looked and, and there does not seem to have been any issue. And a couple of big studies out of Eastern Europe, and I know and have spoken to the researchers, indicate that even if people have metastatic cancer, right, and you want to treat them for pain or something like that, it doesn't make them die faster. So you're not going to worsen their prognosis if you have, a, say, a stage one something that has been breast or that's been relieved, um, uh, been um, uh, sort of in remission, been treated, people survive longer. There's actually a benefit. So we think that the benefit is in the stimulation of the immune system because we do think, I, I haven't mentioned that before, but there is an immune enhancement um, going on. So I've sort of given you a list of probably the, there's really no, probably not over cancer, not over a breast lump and not over a known cancer, I think. They're even using it now. There used to be supposedly a contraindication for um, endocrine organs. But, in fact, now they're using uh, laser over thyroid to treat thyroiditis. So, and again, it's the inflammatory thing they're looking to suppress. Okay. Now, Roberta, so many positive, positive outcomes. I think I have the most important question for you. Yeah. Is laser therapy painful? Absolutely no. And I mean, uh. <laughs> when, I, when I talk about when I talk about laser, you can see I've got this bit of missionary zeal about it. <laughs> uh, excuse the missionary zeal, having. Having worked in, you know, having had a laser since 1988, probably before you were born, um, <laughs> no, I, you know, for me it's a, for me it's just an absolute no-brainer, and you know, I, I get depressed when I think about with something that does so many things, why why isn't it accepted more? Um, and and just to to get back to that question about um, is it painful? Really, it is an extremely patient-friendly treatment. It is very patient-friendly. There isn't pain. I mean, I palpate. Part of what I have to do is palpate. You have to find the area. You've got to work out what you're going to treat, what you're trying to treat. I mean, the same with the headaches. It's amazing how many people have tender scalps and the whole neural network from, from the base of the skull over the occiput into how tender people are. So um, uh, people are often very surprised and, and don't like you touching that, that part of their body because they're, they're sore. So the only pain is, is inflicted by people like me who are a bit heavy-handed. I've always been, <laughs> you know, learning to back off as being part of what I have to do um, is, is palpation. But often it, it reassures people that there is something to treat. So many people, as you know, have never been examined. Certainly pain clinics don't examine people. It reinforces the idea that there's something wrong, and yet that's their idea. So um, when you examine people who have back pain and they have pain down their iliotibial band, they have pain in their gluteal, they have pain around their ribs, and they've never known sort of why they've got this, this chronic problem. So it is very patient-friendly. And my comment about, you know, how I... You know, I get so frustrated. Is it is almost the disadvantage of this therapy that it does so many things, mm. and a lot of the responses I both Shane warns hair, which of course is what it can do. Hair growth can be <laughs> and 
and treat uh, fungal infections of the host, which the podiatrists do, and then treat migraine and then treat irritable bowel. And then it's been, you know, how can it do, not to mention all the musculoskeletal things and migraine, how can possibly any, anything do? It's snake oil. And, and, the, and then you add on to it, well, and it doesn't hurt. You know, it's not painful. Um, how can anything be do all of those things? So um, it is. It, it can. Um, in fact, sometimes it's so painless that people often don't think they've had a treatment. Um, people say, oh, you're treating me, and I'm saying, yes, yes. They think it's your hand palpating or something. It is a very benign, from that point of view, very benign treatment. And final question, Roberta, on, on the series of questions here for laser therapy. What's a typical treatment uh, duration you know, for, for, for someone who's so, listening to this? Yes, well, of course, it does depend on the pathology. So say somebody comes in with a spycogenic headache that converts to migraines. Um, so the first treatment is to go look and see what you can find, as you know, yeah. you're palpating and seeing how extensive it is and what the range of movement is. And so, But the first treatment for me in a patient with a headache, especially if they're migraineurs, might only be 10 minutes. A lot of talking, a lot of explaining, trying to get them to do to understand what I'm trying to do, not with all those other explanations, but an attempt to understand that the light is being absorbed and then stimulating the body. Um, the and and then I do try if there's a restriction of movement or something. You can usually get that better in about ten minutes. And once they start to feel their muscles are looser and they can feel just a little bit better, I, I would stop. So a first treatment might only be 10 minutes. If it's back and if it's extensive, maybe I'll go 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and and occasionally or not probably more, not more than occasionally, often people have, as, again, as you would know, mm-hmm. people with chronic pain often have multiple sites. So, you know, what do you do? They've got a left shoulder and a right hip and a sore ankle. Well, they're probably all connected one way or the other through the myofascial system or something. Um, That presents a management problem. That's a good problem to have in a way because – but you have to manage. You can't treat everything at once. I wouldn't treat anybody for more than half an hour. Like I – Less is more because what the body is doing is actually stimulating repair. It's stimulating the body to do the work. It's not actually doing this. It's not like a steroid that's doing something or it's not It's not like an external thing doing something. It is, okay, the body is not functioning. The muscle isn't functioning. The repair processes. Let's give it a little kick. Let's give the body a little oxidative stress in that area and it says, okay, yep, yeah, I have to do something here. So that's why the process is a little bit, um, it, it's a cumulative process. So one treatment won't may do something. Often you'll feel pretty quickly they've got to change. You'll feel their muscle change within a shortish time. And once the change happens, once you know the body has absorbed the light and done something, then you you know you've delivered enough energy. And and one of the problems, again, for people who are starting to get a laser and use a laser is how much do you do? You know, 10 minutes doesn't seem like a lot of treatment time, but a lot of the time is the feeling and the finding and the talking. Um, but you need to only give them enough. And one of the things that I, I should mention, which goes in, you know, is it painful? The laser itself is not painful, but there is sometimes – a a third treatment reaction and it's if the body is sort of building up and you know getting that working out what to do with the oxidative stress and then you know they produce this or that and sometimes people can get uh, for a shortish period of time can be up to a day but often by the at the third treatment so we now just in in the practical terms on the third treatment, we, we halve the dose. Whatever dose we've used, we halve the dose of light. So uh, that's to do with that um, react, reaction. 
you know what what the patients uh, are feeling response but it's not directly so just to get back to the question about you know okay how long do treatments take so it's always a course of treatment i personally tell the patients okay you need six treatments to start with um it's not set in stone um it's just uh that's what we we say twice a week for two weeks And the treatments may be then, depending on the responsiveness, um, you might, if nothing happens by the third treatment, sometimes I'll increase the dose by a third, Um, although probably I'm more inclined to do that on the fourth treatment. Um, We also have available to our patients a little handheld laser that people can rent for two weeks and they can use it as an interim treatment. Um, especially if they've got extensive problems, and then they can opt to buy one of those if if they want it. So our goal is actually to try and get people independent of us. So once they've done the six, you'll usually know by about four whether the patient – I mean, often I can tell by the first. If you get that tissue change, you'll know straight away they're going to do okay. They're going to get an improvement. The next question would be, well, how much improvement? So I say, look, you've, you've probably got a 50% chance uh, – you've probably got an 80% chance of getting at least 50% better. So I don't promise them the earth, I just, but I do say but it, it will take time because what we're actually doing – and this is where the neuromodulation comes in. We're changing their software. A lot of the time these people have this dysfunctional pain system. Their neural networks have all been upregulated. They've just had so much pain for so long coming to so many areas, these chronic neck pain patients, in, uh, neck pain heart, heart, headache patients. You have to change their software. It takes about six weeks. If you think of an injury, or an incision or something. Really, it takes that long to change the cellular response and then it's got to go to the, you know, the spinal cord and then the spinal cord's got to do its thing and then and then that whole cycle has to be completed. So I tell people, look, expect the whole thing, you know, to, to be prepared to sort of see it through for six weeks. So twice a week for two weeks, once a week often for the third and fourth week and then... If all is going well, then we get them to come back two weekly and then another two to four weekly intervals and then see. We, we never discharge people. We never say, like, physios want to discharge people. There's this sort of um, need to get rid of them out of their, <laughs> out of their clutches. And, and chiros in the past, I think, have tried to keep them too long. I think there's almost been this complete paradigm thing. Yep. But... We, we don't say, that's it, go away, you're cured. Um, we say, okay, we've got you into a state now where you're, you're going well, your body needs to then complete the healing. I mean, you know something, you know surgery takes a year at least to to get the scars right and the pain right, assuming they're going yeah. to get better. You know, you've got to think, and for those chronic pain patients, especially the headaches, you can't make, you can't go too fast. You'll, you'll, you'll make them worse. Uh, and laser can certainly aggravate things. Uh, again, I don't want to make it seem like there's no problem. Um, so it's time, it's changing the software. And I often use this this explanation, the software versus hardware. They come along with their MRIs and all of their stuff. And, you know, the data shows, the literature shows, there's no correlation between the MRIs and the imaging and, and what you do. And so I sort of have a, you know, peremptory look at it and say, well, that means nothing to me. Probably don't say that quite like that. But, you know, that that's not going to do anything to change what I do. You have yep. to treat the patient, not the x-rays. Yep. And so a lot of time is spent trying to explain that to people. Um, Makes sense. And it takes time. And you know, I'm not going to cure everybody, and I'm not going to be it. And, and people sometimes don't want to invest their time and their money to some extent. Um into into a treatment that isn't instant and immediate, and then I'll give them a pill, and then they'll come back in three months' time and say, "Okay, let's give it a go." Yeah. <laughs> Rethought their processes. Well, uh, I think I did. I hear the year nineteen eighty eight was the first year you started your laser work th- three decades ago. Yeah. Right, in eighty eight. There you go. Mm, so, Bianca, Bianca, we can identify the passion and the enthusiasm. Really hasn't changed in three decades. With uh, 
with what Roberta's been doing. Fantastic. So if we move to the, this final stage. Sorry, go on. I said much to my husband's chagrin. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, when, when you're doing all the work you've done, you've got to have a very supportive family, I'd imagine, to be able to mm. permit it all to happen. Uh, we've reached the stage of the podcast, Roberta, where we ask our talent about something inspirational, perhaps that has made them go around the go to the pathway they've gone. You've certainly got so much behind mm. you in your career. Is there anything you'd like to share with our back chat uh, audience about something for yourself? Well, I, I would love to say that I had some inspiration, uh, you know, the light turning on to, you know, excuse the pun. <laughs> yes. but it's more that um, I've been driven because I really and truly see that patients continue to suffer and continue not to be managed very well, especially in the pain medicine arena. And, and so... The drive for me, which is probably why I did acupuncture as well, was to try and find other ways to help people because I know the limits to the drug therapy. I mean, even paracetamol has, especially long-term paracetamol. I mean, what are we really trying to do for people? Um, so my my drive was really to find some way beyond beyond the standard medicine and what psychopathology drove me into that who knows but I, I I'm certainly driven by trying to find trying to help people with this um, and there have been probably my PhD supervisor who herself broke several molds in she's a neuroscientist Professor Patsy Amati she has been a real driver and an inspiration to do the research work I've done. So it probably boils down to that combination of frustration and finding somebody who can help you make what you think <laughs> is valuable into something concrete. So yeah, that's terrific. probably my best answer to that. That's brilliant. Beautiful. Well, let's finish up the show with three take-home messages for our listeners. Roberta, do you have... Three take-homes perhaps for us and for the people listening today? Well, I would say that uh, in a general sense, uh, the first one would be, you know, do listen to patients and do not forget that patients are people and you, and I, I mean, I don't know how applicable it is to this audience, but I think we, we can forget that patients are people and if we treat people like they were our family members and tried to help them, it would impose a lot of emotional burden on us. But at the same time, I think it's really important not to lose sight of that, that we, we really need to try and think of people and not to judge people, not to, um, not to sort of even though they may have difficult behaviours as a lot of pain people do. And don't be judgmental about people. Um, you're just trying to help people. Some people you'll be able to, others you won't. Don't give up, but just try and understand their perspective on it and 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 just go with that flow. Um, the, the second thing is, which is really more related to the, the laser area, um, do look at it as a as a whole. Look at it with a bigger picture than just another another simple tool. It really is a very complex modality, which I think has not yet really been fully recognised. And try and understand it and in, to integrate it in your practice. To try and use it to its best ability to help you help your patients. Um, and and to look beyond the simple and certainly not to get sucked into all of the industry hype either. So maintain enough distance and yet keep your curiosity for, for trying to um, to help this. And, and probably the third one is if you're really passionate about something and this has been my passion, hang in there and follow it because chances are you will be able to do something uh, again, I'm sort of getting back to the notion of helping people, but I, I do think it's quite important um, and it's what's driven me. Fantastic. Look, uh, 
Thank you so much, Roberta, for your words of wisdom, your experience, um, your synopsis of you've taken us through really an A to Z of, uh, of laser therapy and its management from the pathogenesis and the pathomechanisms, the, I suppose, neuromodulations versus biomodulations, right through to the impacts you can have from anti-inflammatory healing, muscle changes, nerve changes, etc. So it's been a, a real, real fascinating insight over the last 40-odd minutes. Uh, in regards to your work and your passion as well, which is really that sort of partner to, to the work of the laser work. If you didn't have the passion behind it all, I think it perhaps wouldn't be driven as much as, as, as you are. So thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Bianca. Thanks, Paul. Fantastic. So Dr. Chow has used uh, laser therapy for painful conditions, including headaches, since, since the nine, late 80s. She's certainly one of the most experienced practitioners as well as a researcher in the field of laser therapy and has book chapters and international publications on laser therapy for many painful conditions. Is there any website uh, at all, Roberta, where people can track you down or any book titles you could uh, perhaps pass on? Uh, well, um, quantum pain management is my main practice and certainly you could track that down uh, on the uh, internet. Yep. The second thing is I am also president of the Australian Medical Laser Association, which is a multidisciplinary organisation, which includes dentists, vets, chiropractors, osteopaths, podiatrists, where we run regular meetings. We try and separate science from the industry hype and our website, which is currently being redone, will have um, some references. So we do have special interest groups. So if people want to join AMLA, it's called AMLA, and access the, um, the papers, the literature, the more scientific and attend conferences, that's certainly another way to do that. Fantastic. Great to know that. As well, you're speaking, as I mentioned earlier, at our neurologic education event in uh, the first Actually, uh, I think you'll be on the Sunday, the 3rd of March, uh, at CQU in Kent Road in Sydney. So you can more information, trip, check out www.neurologiceducation.com.au. Well, Bianca, what do you think? Well, I've, um, I've got a whole new appreciation for, I think, Roberta, the way you explained laser therapy as a real modality rather than a tool. I think that's, I think that's just changed my whole perception. And the neuromodulation function. You know, that's all what we're trying to achieve, isn't mm. it, to get a brain to function the best mm. way that it can. I think mm. this is fantastic. Thank you. And I think uh, and I, the way that Roberta's sort of thinking globally, not locally as well, I think is a really nice yeah. sort of paradigm uh, thinking to regards it all. Right, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Roberta. Thank you, Bianchi. Thank you also for listening to Backchat. To stay abreast with updates with Backchat, please go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Backchat podcast. We're all... Relevant website links of today's podcast will be on our Backchat Podcast Facebook page. If you like this show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We leave you one thought. Be the best at you, what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat Podcast. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.